0: Well, a former senior pastor and now a senior adult. How about that? (laughs) Left here a fiery 40 and now I get discounts or at least I'm offered those on a regular basis. I love it when people ask me if I'm 65, which I'm not yet, but I always tell them, no, I'm 35. I've just had a hard life. (laughs) And so uh, that's often where I go with that. But what an amazing moment and morning To be able to be here, to be with you, to see you, to see this. Titus, I love what you've done with the place, man. But a lot more than the facility. I love who you are and what you are in this community and for the glory of God. Absolutely. Amen. You are incredibly blessed with a gifted, godly pastor. And I am so thankful for him. I am thankful for every day and every year that I had the blessing of living in this community and being a part of this church family. Of course, in those years, we also had a staff team that were together. It was wonderful to see Bob Rowell today. And Richard and Amy Fuller have just continued to be precious people in my life. I love them. Uh, I've always said Richard was absolutely at the top of the list of the best staff members I've ever had and worked with. And I told him, though, no, I've had a few more now, and he may have slipped a place or two. But it's, it's good, and, you know, I'm grateful for that. And then, of course, those years, We were here with Steve and Cindy White. Steve was the worship pastor here and uh, such a big part of our ministry. And I think, Steve, you and Cindy are watching today in Augusta, Georgia. So, church, would you help me to welcome the Whites and let them know that you appreciate their life and ministry as well? Well, so much has happened in our family since we left here. Uh, When Connie and I were here, uh, our children were uh, in elementary school, started school here at Merritt Island Christian School. Uh, Our son Joseph was 12 when we moved away from here. Our daughter Mary Elizabeth was 8 years old. But I thought maybe y'all would like to see where we are today. So on the screen, uh, this is our family. And we have uh, not only our son and daughter and their mates, but we have eight grandchildren. And what an amazing part of life that is for us. But Joseph and his wife Abigail are in the end set up there. Mary Elizabeth on this side, her husband Marcelo, And uh, Connie and I would just have to say that as we now approach our 44th year of marriage together, that uh, God has given us a full and a very fulfilling life. And we are so thankful for all that the Lord has done. And you, you church family, You who were investors in the lives of our children have made a tremendous impact upon our family. And I just can't thank God enough for the people that love them and encourage them and for uh, all that has happened because of those days in our life. And now I'm living and we're serving in Augusta, Georgia. Never a plan to be there, but I heard the master's call. And some of you know what I mean. And as a result... Uh, serving the Master in the city of the Masters, I am having a great time in my life. But as I pause, as I reflect, as I look at all of these things, I'm just reminded today, and I want to remind you today, that life, every one of our lives, is nothing more and nothing less than a series of movements. Life is a series of movements. We move through different ages and stages of life, we go through different times and seasons in life. We, we are touched and shaped by events and experiences that we have in life. Some of those are delightful and others of those are fearful. And we live with a sense of expectations and then we live with a sense of outcomes in life. And life is a series of movements. It's hard to believe that as we gather today, we are over a month past Christmas And yes, we are at the end of this weekend tearing off the uh, calendar page of January 2023. And many of you started this year with some movements in your life. Of course, for many of us, it was physical. Physically, we needed to move. We needed to exercise. We needed to begin to reclaim some place and space for our bodies. And so many of us realized the need to attend to physical health and well-being. And so we've been trying to move physically. Some of us are at a place today where there's a tremendous need for us to move emotionally. Emotionally. We're stuck. We're struggling. We feel like we're constantly bearing a weight and a burden in our lives that are, that's hard and heavy, and, and, and we keep rehearsing the same worries and injuries and grudges and frustration. And some of us are at a place where we need to move Emotionally. One thing that I know for sure as I stand here today is that all of us are at a place where we need to be moving spiritually, where we need to be moving forward in our walk and in our relationship with God. There's a need need for each and every one of us to to recognize and to refocus ourselves as though it were on the work of God in our lives and our families and in our ministries And while I don't know any more than you do a lot about where we're going to go in the days to come, what I do know is that when we read the Word of God repeatedly, we are exhorted and we are challenged because it is time to move. Now, I know that you've been studying the book of Daniel And you've been looking at the movement of God in the life of the nation of Israel at another time and place, and yet that book is a book that keeps moving us forward into the future that we are still yet to see. We just have little bitty, little ideas and images of what's going to unfold, but the reality is, is that whether you look back or whether you look around or whether you look to the future, God is a God who's moving. And so today... Your pastor has given me the privilege to take the last three chapters of the book of Daniel and to look at 78 verses with you this morning (laughs) as we try to pinpoint the timeline of all the prophecy of this book today. And since I don't really see a clock in front of me, would somebody let me know when I'm 60 minutes in? I just need to know when I need to lift my head. No, I'm kidding. I am going to let him handle the rest of that book of Daniel. That's a young man's job. (laughs) But what I do want to do is that I want to take you to one of the most dramatic and one of the most dynamic moments and movements of God in the life of his people, and it's found in the book of Exodus chapter 14. Before we get to the time frame of Daniel, I'm going to go back and give you a little bit of the prequel today. And this prequel that we're going to look at sort of sets up everything that has happened there in the book of Daniel. And as you go to Exodus 14, I'm going to go ahead and rewind all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 12. Because there in Genesis 12, we learn that God called a man by the name of Abraham. And God told him that he was going to bless him and use him and that he was going to make him a great and a mighty nation and that ultimately all of the nations of the earth were going to be blessed through this man, Abraham. And so though it was impossible to consider in light of the fact that Abraham and Sarah were beyond normal childbearing years, that as he approached the first century of his life, he became a father and Sarah a mother by natural birth. And God gave them a son of promise, and then from that son came another son with 12 children, and they became the 12 tribes of Israel. And God had made this promise to Abraham, and God had made this covenant with his descendants. And God said that he was going to do something, as I've already mentioned, that was incredible. But then one of Abraham's grandsons, a man by the name of Joseph, had a very tumultuous life. There was a lot of movement, and a lot of it was backstepping in his life. But ultimately, this man, Joseph, was appointed by God to become second in command to Pharaoh of Egypt, the most powerful man in the world. And when a famine came and hit the land, all of the nations came to Joseph, and among those, his own family, and they came and they settled in Egypt, and God blessed, and God prospered, and everything looked great until there arose a Pharaoh in Egypt that did not know Joseph, and for the next 400 years, the people of Israel, the people of promise, were bondservants and slaves making bricks in the place of Egypt. But there came a day when God called out another man, a man by the name of Moses, And this man, Moses, was called out and called up to go and to take that nation of people, to go and to confront Pharaoh and to say, let my people go. And though Pharaoh resisted in every way, there was a moment where God, through ten acts of God, created impact that brought movement, and Pharaoh let Israel go. And they moved out, and they began to go forward to the future, to go to the land that God had promised. Yes, that promised land that's still in the news today is the most disputed piece of land on earth, the nation of Israel. But they did not get very far out of Egypt. They did not get very deep into the crossing of the wilderness until we get to the moment that we're going to look at and that we're going to read today. So now, having given you a little bit of background, let me pick up my reading, Exodus 14 and verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people to turn back and encamp in front of pi Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get what? What is that next word? I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. They get out of Egypt. All this drama that surrounds the packing up and the moving out, and they get there, and God tells them exactly where to go, but God also says, I've got a plan and something that's about to unfold. And as a result of that, suddenly the people of Israel are in a place where Pharaoh thought they were wandering. (laughs) The funny thing is they weren't wandering at this point. They were right on the map of where God wanted them to be. God told them to go to this place. They would spend the next 40 years wandering because of their unbelief. But in this moment and in this place, God was moving and working in their lives. And this event, this this entire experience of the Exodus coming out and going to the land of promise is more than just some story in ancient history related to the nation of Israel. Paul comes along and tells us Paul comes along and tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians that these very events that we're looking at today that they are intended to be instructive for us. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 6 says this, "Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did." We're standing today looking at a future that is very uncertain and very unclear. We as the church of God are living in tumultuous times. It seems that everything, everything is fraying and fracturing and broken, more than probably any of us have seen in our lifetime. I noticed a tweet posted by Patricia Heaton the well-known actress from Everybody Loves Raymond this week. She's a believer, but she posted this this week. The world feels especially broken with no way back. And I think a lot of us feel that today. We're in a broken place. But just as we are in a hard place today, and Israel, as you're going to see in just a moment, was in a hard place in that day, just as we don't know where we're going, as they did not know where they were going then, What we can learn in this passage of Scripture as it unfolds is not where we're going, but how God works wherever he takes us. And while I don't know who you are or where you are today, I want you to know that this God is working and moving, and he has a plan and a purpose in your life, just as he did in the life of Israel, and just as he redeemed Israel, he has redeemed so many of you who have looked to Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And today, I want to be sure that we understand what we need to see and hear and learn together about how God is moving and working in our lives. So, let me give you five concepts of God's work, how God works when He moves in our lives. Concept number one is this we need to remember that God's agenda is always bigger than ours, that God's agenda is always bigger, and I might add, it is always better than ours. God's agenda is the agenda of what he is doing and what he is accomplishing. We often underestimate the work of God in our lives. We often overlook the work of God in our world because as we begin to feel the press and the pinch and the struggle of the things that we don't understand around us, we begin to feel as if somehow God is impotent or somehow God is ignorant or somehow God has forgotten. But I want to take you back to this passage and remind you that it is very clear That God had a very specific purpose in getting Israel where he put them. And if you look back in those opening verses, you notice there in verse 4 that it says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will pursue them. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts so that the Egyptians may know that I am God. I will get glory. And God is always working in this world for our good and for his glory. Because he is a faithful God. He is faithful in all that he does. I remember so well. Standing in the last Sunday in January in 2020 on the platform of our church in Augusta. And I laid out at that time what I was calling a vision for the next 20 years. I mean, excuse me, the next 10 years of our ministry. They wouldn't have believed 20, but 10, yes. And I... I went in front of the church and my real heart and everything that I shared with them was this. I don't want us to focus on how large we can become. I want everything that we do for the next 10 years to focus on how far we can reach. How much can we reach forward to the future, to the next generation? And I put all of this together on a little card that I called Apps from 2020 to 2030. And I think I've got a picture of that card for you to see. But in there, I outline eight large objectives for our ministry. One of them involved paying off the remainder of the church debt, another involved planting some more campuses. We already had one, and we were going to continue multi-campus church planting through our ministry. We wanted to have partnerships around uh, the nation in other cities. Uh, we wanted to start a residency ministry where we would take next generation leaders, and I challenged them that we would train 100 young people to go forward in ministry over the next decade. I went through all these different things that were a part of the, the big picture strategy, and one of the things on that card, it says online, I thought it might be a good idea, as the digital world was expanding, for us to create a digital footprint that could allow our ministry to move beyond even local broadcast to touching anyone anywhere because we have a military uh, post in the area of Augusta. And as our people come through and go out, I wanted to maintain contact around the world. That was the last Sunday in January of 2020. And then came Friday the 13th, March the 13th of 2020, And I mean the ink was no more dry on a 10-year vision and the entire world shut down. Our church shut down. For 11 weeks, we didn't meet. Only time in my entire life in ministry and probably the only time I can know across the history of America that there was an Easter where there was not a church that came together in a congregation like this. And frankly, it looked as if for a period of time as just things were so shadowed and things were so uncertain and, and so many things just felt like they were taking us backward in life. And, and honestly, I hit a place where I thought I was dreaming of a future and now I'm not even sure I will ever again see the, the present reality that we had before COVID. But then God began to regather and God began to refocus the church and we came back together and in the last two years, we have accomplished almost everything that I wanted to do in the next ten years in the life of our church because God's agenda is always bigger than our agenda. By the way, becoming an online ministry was the first thing that we did. Kind of had to. And the rest of it was the unfolding plan of God. And God is still working. I me. Mean, many of these things are longer term than just an event or a moment, but God has done things I could have never imagined in the last few years, because God is a God who moves and works, and when God moves and works, he does great things for his glory. Listen to me carefully. God's agenda includes you, but God's agenda is not all about you. It includes you, but it's not all about you. And just as the agenda of God included the people of Israel, it was not all about Israel. It was about the glory of God. And so no matter where you go, one of the things that you need to know about how God works is that God is always working for his glory. And that everything we are and everything we do, we must always put our hands up and surrender and say, unto the praise of his glory. Secondly, when God works, we need to understand that we must realize that he sees and knows where we are today. Today. Not only is it true that God's agenda is bigger and better than ours, but we need to realize that God sees and knows where we are today. It was as if with GPS accuracy, God directed them to a very specific place. We read that together. Look again there in that first passage. It says, go to pi ha between Migdal in front of the sea and Baal-Zephon. You know right where that is, right? It's down near Ogali somewhere. No, I mean, you get the picture. I mean, this is specific. God knew exactly where they were. They weren't wandering. They were where God told them to be. Pharaoh thought they were wandering, and Pharaoh came out thinking that he was going to take them down and take them back. But what I want to be sure that you understand is that in your life, even when you're in places and times that you don't understand, I want you to know that God knows right where you are, and his eye is on you. Why? Because he loves you. Because he is your God. He is your creator. He is your redeemer. He is your savior. He is your deliverer. And God works on behalf of his people. It was A.W. Tozer who said, To the child of God, there's no such thing as an accident. He travels an appointed way. Accidents may indeed appear to befall him and misfortunes stalk his way, but these evils will be so in appearance only. And we'll see evils only because we cannot read the secret script of God's hidden providence. Before we try to begin to figure out where we need to go and what we need to do, we need to always remember that God knows right where we are right now. And while I have no idea what brought you in this building today, it's not an accident that you're here. This is God's appointment. He's brought you here, and he wants to work in your life here and now and today. There in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 9, it says, The Egyptians pursued them. All of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his armies overtook them Encamped by the sea, where? By pi hi heroth in front of baal Zephion, They literally, with GPS accuracy, came right to them. Why? Because that's where God wanted them to be. That brings me to the third thing that I want you to understand today about how God moves in our lives, and that is that we must resist the pull of the comfortable and the predictable. We need to see what God's agenda is. We need to know that God is on us, our eye is on us. But the one thing that is very important for me to point out to you today is that we have to resist the pull of the comfortable and the predictable. Look at what happened to Israel as Pharaoh and his army began to move upon them. The Bible says down in verse 10, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of the land of Egypt? And listen to verse 12. Is not this what he said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would be better for us to observe the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Can you believe this? Plagues that brought them out, provision that, that began to supply for their needs. God was giving them a, a horizon. God was giving them an open door to the future. And all of this is unfolding, but what is Israel doing? They're living in the rearview mirror. They're living thinking, you know, it wasn't so great in Egypt, but at least we knew where we lived and we knew what we had and we didn't have to fear somebody taking us down. And what they started doing was trying to pursue the comfortable and the predictable instead of trusting the powerful and mighty work of God in their lives. I find that to be so true of us. Whenever there's a big disruption, whenever there's a big struggle, Whenever there's a, a painful reality in our lives, it's just not uncommon for us when that happens that we begin to try to figure out how to find the status quo, how to, how to, how to just settle life down instead of face the uncertainty of change. But because life is moving and God is moving, you can't control the change that comes to your life. What you can do is make sure that your goal is not just to find the comfortable, predictable place to be. I'm not saying that we need to pursue trouble. I'm not saying that we need to make much out of uh, staying in a disrupted state. But I love what Warren Wiersbe said when he said, history should be a rudder to guide us, but not an anchor that keeps us from moving forward to a better future. Let me ask you something. Had God already told Israel and Moses that he had something better for them in the future? Had God told them that? Did God tell them that there was a promised land and he was taking them there? Yes, but they didn't believe it. And what they kept doing was defaulting. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. Why would they do that? Because like so many of us, we are constantly trying to go back to find security and safety when really the safety of our lives is found in the future of what God has promised and provided for us. 2 Chronicles 16, for the eyes of the Lord search to and fro upon the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless before him. And I may be weak, and I may be uncertain, and I may not know where I'm going, but I can tell you God does, and you can trust him, even if it disrupts everything else that makes your life feel comfortable. Don't let that happen to you. It's so easy. C.H. McIntosh said it this way, if we could only look upon a difficult crisis as an occasion of bringing out on our behalf the sufficiency of divine grace, it would enable us to preserve the balance of our souls and to glorify God even in the deepest waters. Resist the pull of the comfortable and predictable. Number four, Respond with action. Move. Some of you woke up just then and you moved, didn't you? (laughs) Respond with action. Move. Listen to what the Bible says. Go back to Exodus 14 and pick up our reading in verse 13. It says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, listen to this, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. He says, listen, it's time for us to move because God is going to move on our behalf, and it is time for us in this movement to wait on the Lord and to see the Lord as he moves and as he works in our lives. In verse 15, let me go back. I left that verse out, and I must not because that's my point. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to what? Go where? Forward. Now, does anybody know what was forward? The Red Sea. Now, that made a lot of sense, didn't it? You're already got smoke coming at you with the cloud of the chariots, and now you're going to step into deep water. Just imagine that. But God told them, move and go forward. And as they began to move, suddenly God's hand was at work. And while there's a whole lot that I don't know about where you will go or what will unfold, I do believe that the one clear message that God would have me to deliver to you, First Baptist Church of Merritt Island today, and individuals as a part of this church family, it is that it's time for you and time for me to go forward to go forward by faith because God is moving. Now, no one could deny the reality of the approach of Pharaoh, and no one could overlook the the dire outcome if God did not intervene. But the people of God had to believe the Word of God, and they had to go. And it's amazing what happens when you just take one more step with God. Exodus chapter 14, we read the outcome of that action, that call to action, verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord set the sea back, a strong east wind all night that made the sea dry land and the waters divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on what? dry ground. Hey, you know enough about water to know that if water recedes and you go step where it was, you tend to step into the muck and the marsh, right? But the Bible says, no, it was dry ground. They started walking across dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. And God took a waterway and made a gateway and rolled out the red carpet in the Red Sea. What a mighty God we serve. And that's a wonderful story. But I'm curious today, what's the next step that God would have you to take? What is it? Where do you need to go forward in your life? I know where some of you need to go forward. Some of you are here. You're in this wonderful church today. It's a place that's become familiar. It's a place that you enjoy looking forward to coming and gathering and being a part of on Sundays. But I'm speaking to some people today that though you like it and you have an affinity and you have an alignment with this church, you have never made a commitment. Maybe you had a bad experience somewhere else. Maybe you're just kind of waiting it out. But let me tell you, it is important for you to make a commitment to be a part of God's church because the church is God's agenda even if it's not yours. And some of you need to take a step, and maybe even today is that day, where you step in and step out and say, I want to be a part of the life and the ministry of this church and its future. Some of you, though, that would be the wrong step because you have never come to the place in your life where you have bowed the knee or surrender your life to Jesus Christ as Lord. The public declaration of that is seen in the waters of baptism. Baptism is a picture of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. It's the work of God's movement in the world to take away sin and to give the gift of life. But some of you need to today take a step of faith and say, Jesus, I come to you. I bring my sin, my, my failure, my brokenness, and I give my life to you. Some of you today need to come to a place in your life where you cho- choose in this new year to begin to just make some little steps toward growth in your life. Maybe that's memorizing some scripture. Maybe that's joining a a group that meets midweek beyond this this gathering and, and you begin to get involved. Or maybe it's taking a step to get involved and to serve in the ministry. You serve with children. You serve with students. You begin to get engaged and you just take that step and say, Lord, here am I. Some of you need to begin to take that step of giving. You need to get out of yourself and the fear of of what's happening financially in the world. And no doubt about it, we are living in one of the most unstable, unpredictable economic times. I mean, eggs are $9 a dozen. Nobody's going out egging houses today, I can tell you that. That's about as expensive as fly fishing. But... Are you going to trust God with your money or are you going to try to run it yourself? You'd be amazed what you can do with God as a partner more than you trying to be the manager and the overseer of your resources in your life. And some of you need to set a pattern and a standard and start giving in faith and investing in the work of the gospel in this community through the life and the ministry of this church because God is going to use you. Some of you need to pray. And write down a name and go start a gospel conversation with someone who needs your witness in their life. Let me just speak to some young men in this room. Some of you need to propose. Yeah, you heard me right. Propose. We're living in a day where men keep being boys and they never make commitments in their lives and you're not ever going to figure it all out, and you're certainly not going to work it all out while you're in the midst of just trying to do what's next in your life. Some of you need to recognize that the great need of our day are men who will step up and invest and invite the opportunity of marriage because God established the home, the family, and marriage. It's not a cultural intervention. It is God's plan and purpose, and some of you need to honor it. Thank you, ladies. I appreciate that very much. (laughs) Some of you need to pursue adoption, foster care, childbirth. Some of you need to realize the incredible blessing of becoming a parent and and letting that happen. I'm going to promise you, parenting will break your heart and break your life. What a privilege. But it will also teach you the richest and most precious of things in life as you walk with the Lord. You need to give God your career, your future, your availability. I just, I love this word by Isabel Kuhn who said, How it pays to just take one step at a time with God. Just one step. I don't know what that one step is, but I'm here to tell you today it's time to move, and some of you need to take that one step. And I have one more step, and then I'll be finished. Number five, you need to rest assured that providence awaits. Rest assured that providence awaits. That when we take that step by faith, we begin to see the providence of God at work in our lives. Now, what is that word providence? What does that mean? Well, pro means something that's forward or positive, right? Video is something that you see. So providence is seeing in advance. And what I can't see and what you can't see, God already sees and knows. And because he is a God of providence with perfect wisdom and ultimate glory, everything that we do needs to take us to the place that we see that God already had a plan to get Israel to the other side. He stacked up the waters. He made a highway. He walked them to the other side. And then the Bible tells us in Exodus 14, 27 and verse 28, that as Moses stretched out his hand... The sea returned to its normal course and the morning appeared and the Egyptians who had fled in it had been thrown into the midst of the sea. Yeah, the Egyptians started to pursue. They thought they could take down the blessing that God had given of deliverance. But what was deliverance for Israel was judgment for Egypt. And the waters came down and they would never see them again. This, of course, became the defining moment in the life and the history of Israel. To this day, once a year, Jews gather at a place together to celebrate an event called the Passover. And the Passover is the reminder of God's deliverance when he brought his people out of bondage, when he brought them through the Red Sea, when he took them to the promised land, and for all of time, the Jews are to tell their children what the Passover is about. But all of the Passover was accomplished first and foremost because of the blood that was put on the doorpost and the lintel and the doorposts of the house, and that that blood was to be a picture of God's deliverance of his people out of Egypt and his promise to take his people to the land that he had prepared for them. Of course, it was our Lord Jesus Christ who, in his earthly ministry, as a part of the final events of his life, sat down with his disciples and celebrated the Passover, and in the midst of that Passover, he took bread and brought said, this is my body broken for you. He took a cup and said, this is the blood of my new covenant. And Jesus used the picture of this deliverance through the Red Sea, this deliverance out of Egypt as the picture of his redemption and deliverance in our lives so that we may live with confidence and hope that the God who worked in Egypt long ago is the God who is still at work in your life and in my life today. Look at one final passage here, Exodus chapter 14, verse 30. It says, thus the Lord saved Israel. Look at these next two words. That day, from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. That day, that was a defining moment. That was the moment of absolute transformation. That day became the moment where they met God and saw God work and move in their lives. And I just wonder if that day could be this day for you. I, uh, I remember so well in May of 1992 and a little up, Apartment area not too far, maybe a long drive from where we are right now. If you're standing on a golf tee and you drive straight, a long drive down on Tropical Trail where Connie and our children were there, and we were staying in an apartment uh, that Ron and Sally Gould, who Sally's so great to see you this morning, owned. They let us stay there the weekend that we came in in view of call as pastor. And I remember about five o'clock in the morning being up in that apartment praying. And of course, I was scared. I was a young man. I, I had not been a pastor in a senior pastor role before, uh, but you gave me that invitation, an opportunity. But I remember that day, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24, that simply says, faithful is he who called you, who also will do it. And God opened a door that was so significant for the next six years in my life and really in the life of our family. And now today, though I could have never imagined all that God would do, I walk in the door and see what He's done and is doing through you today. And all I can say is, faithful is He who called, who also will do it. Why? Because when we keep moving forward with God, we keep proving His faithfulness in our lives the book of Romans, it says, whatever was written from the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And to be completely honest and candid with you this morning, the things I've shared with you today have been a big part of my journey in the last year of my life. Just in walking through some things in my ministry, my life, my family, there have been days where I've just really needed to know that God was working and moving in me. I picked up and went back and reread a little book called The Red Sea Rules by Dr. Robert Morgan. I hope many of you know it, and if you don't, go get it. It's a lot better in its coverage of this passage and this event than I can share with you. But I love the way that Robert Morgan concluded it. He said, when the children of Israel were trapped and afraid, twixt forbidding tides and Pharaoh's tirade, Jehovah commanded and Moses obeyed as pitiful prayers filled an impossible place. As Moses gazed at Jehovah's dread face, as the people of God needed infinite grace, the mighty winds howled, violent waves dashed, the seawater quivered and the lightnings flashed, the thunders boomed and the breakers crashed. When the sun arose on that terrible day, the children of Israel threw the misty spray discovered their God had made a way. And many Christians in the years that have passed, though troubled by fears, though tried and harassed, have found the same God strong, sure, and steadfast. So, Father, how I pray that wherever someone may be placed, or sitting, or living today, that, God, they would see and know that, one, you are moving And that is a part of your movement around them. It is your invitation to them that it's time to move. And I pray that over these next few moments that there would be movement. Movement in the hearts of your people here. Movement in the hearts of people who need to come to you today. And that, Father, this would be a moment where the move of God and the Spirit of God would be strong and mighty among us. Oh, God. We cannot fix ourselves, change ourselves, overcome, Lord, the circumstances and struggles. But God, you are faithful and you are powerful. And God, today in the midst of all of this, we call out to you. I specifically pray if there's a man, a woman, a boy or girl in this place who has never come to the cross, never come to Jesus, has never been at that intersection of knowing that you reach out in your love to receive us, and that we can reach up in faith and be redeemed, that this would be that moment, O God. Lord, you see and know our hearts and lives. And I pray right now, this altar in front of me might be a place of surrender and of response to your word. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're going to sing in these moments a response of the heart, faith to God. But I know this pastor and I know this staff would want you to know that if you need to respond, you can. So come right now. Let's stand together. Let's pray together. Let's use this altar. Let's let God work. And Richard, you come and lead us together. Thank you. God bless you.